Welcome. You are listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, lively conversations with cutting edge authors, hosted by Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is an author, advocate, and educator. Join us to find your new favorite author, book, or inspiration. And now, here's Mary. Welcome to Cover to Cover, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I am super excited about my guest because we've had her on uh, our Writer's Corner live show several times. Just love her. And um, I am a big fan of hers. So if any of you are Sherlock Holmes fans, and you're going to love who we're going to be, I'm going to be talking to today. So I want to just go ahead and bring her on. Thank you, Bonnie McBird, for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And Thank it's, you. It's it's a little cold where you are because you're living up north, 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 or north east. I'm in or, London. Yes. So you're like way above me. <laughs> you so, know, London and, is surprisingly um, mild climate compared to, say, the East Coast. It's uh, it rarely snows. You know, it snows since I've been living here on and off for six, seven years. It snowed maybe three times and it never really stays in the ground. So it really doesn't. It's not in Dickens time and in Holmes's time. It was much colder. Isn't that interesting? Because I was thinking about that as you're talking about it, thinking that like uh, for me, I've never been there. That's on my bucket list to come. But, you know, we think about these heavy snows and, you know, the the drifts and you're stuck inside it, you know, kind of that the magic also that goes with the snow. Well, there's, so. there's, that exists in my book, which takes place at Christmas time, because it really did snow a lot more then. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly why, uh, partly the climate, but also the Thames wasn't, I don't think it was tidal at that time, and it would sometimes freeze over. So, um, you know, they it, it just was a much colder period of history. And so, you know, in Holmes's time, often, you know, uh, Christmas would feature snow drifts along the side of the roads. They'd have to you know, scrape them away so the carriages could get by and so forth. Uh, and in my book, you probably have noticed that, you know, uh, at one point he, Watson says, you know, even the snow drifts look nicer in the, in the more expensive areas of town. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there are more public services and, the, and the, there's quite a disparity, of course, yeah, as Dickens, you know, wrote about, there's quite a disparity between the, the upper and the, and the lower classes. Uh, and it was, it's, it was pretty dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. So for any of, for anyone out there listening, who does not know who Bonnie McBird is, well, you should know her if you don't know her and you will know her after today, but she, her, her specialty in her life now is Sherlock Holmes. And she has five novels, her latest one that is out right now, her newest release that we're going to be discussing today is called what child is this? And I have the book. It's absolutely beautiful. The illustration, the the front cover, the cover, back cover is beautiful. So she spent years as a film executive. She's an Emmy winning producer and screenwriter. She also wrote the original screenplay for Tron. And I have to talk about that for just a second. I want to mention that because my girls, it's so funny. Okay. So they're born 2000, 2003. It's one of their very favorite movies. So they're so excited. I'm talking to you today. <laughs> <laughs> because we they love that movie and we're into uh, our families into a lot of movie soundtracks um orchestral soundtracks that's definitely one that's on the playlist is from the original Tron so right um, yeah so we're I'm going to dive right in you've written five Sherlock Holmes novels 
And today I said, we we're discussing, you know, what child is this that is kind of, it's centered around Christmas time. So a great time for it to come out, go to Amazon, buy it. It's a great Christmas gift. What drew you to, to writing Sherlock Holmes? What, why is that you, your, it got you, right? Yeah, I well, I've loved Sherlock Holmes since I was ten, and I think I grew up in a, in a time period where there were there are a lot of English influences. I guess I was an early Anglophile even as a little <laughs> kid. I mean, you think about it, there was you know uh, Haley Mills, right? When I, when I was a little kid, uh, the James Bond, the Beatles, uh, and then of course all the literature I was reading. I mean, Jane Eyre and Dickens, and later George Eliot. I mean, I was just kind of steeped in English stuff. And and I just really was an Anglophile, but Sherlock Holmes really captured my imagination as a kid. And what I loved about him was that he was kind of an outlier. I mean, he was way smarter than people and he sort of was a loner and, and a lonely man, actually, but, but kind of the first Superman because he had these superpowers, really. And, and then, of course, he had the great friend in Watson. And that's one of the great friendships of literature, of all literature. And so I think lots of things appeal to kids uh, in that way. And and uh, many of my friends who are Sherlockians uh, came came to love Holmes as as kids, you know, reading the stuff as as ten year olds and so forth. So I've loved him on and off, and I've followed, you know, over the years. There have been many movies and plays and TV shows in and around Sherlock Holmes, some of them very directly, like the Jeremy Brett, of course, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, but some of them kind of not so direct, but definitely based on Holmes, like like House, starring Hugh Laurie, for example. And then in recent years, there have been some wonderful sort of modern adaptations, that my favorite being, um, uh, my favorite actually being BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. So there have been just an ongoing, you know, <laughs> I've just touched into Holmes over and over over the years. And um, I just love the character. So I, about eight years ago, I um, I was recovering from an illness and I, I sort of had a bucket list item. You mentioned a minute ago that London was on your bucket list to visit. Yes. Um, well, we sh- you should come. Definitely. I know. I absolutely. I can't wait. I'm so excited because I have two. I, there's a couple of favorite people I have there, and you're one of them. So, and I don't know if you guys know each other. We'll have to talk later about it. But uh, yes, I definitely. But go ahead. Yeah, it, it's it won't disappoint. I mean, it, it very much is as described. Uh, Paris is also like that. Anyway, so um, but but um. So I, I, I was recovering from something and I thought, okay, I don't have a huge bucket list, but I do have one thing. I really want to get a novel out there. And so I decided I would sit down and I did a NaNoWriMo, but I did it on my own time. I started Christmas Day. Of that oh, that's year. good. I bet it's and a good goal. It was, a, it was a Christmas present to myself to sit down and give myself that time, to fence off that time. Anyway, so I wrote the first one and, you know, it, you know, the NaNoWriMo, you may get uh, 50,000 words down, but it's not a finished piece. It was a, another whole year of sort of shaping that book. And then I, I thought, well, I was, I was planning to self-publish because I just thought, no matter what, I'm just going to get this book out there. Uh, but I thought, well, I might as well try to get an agent. So while I was preparing the c- cover and getting editors to work with me, I was I was farming it out to try to get an agent. Well, I got an agent. And so then she started sending it out. And while she did that, I continued to prepare it for self-publication. And I did illustrations for it, everything. 
And then she sold it to HarperCollins, to my surprise. Wow. So um, so then it, they asked for another one and then another one. And now we're on, I'm writing book six for them right now. So it's been a quite a surprising ride and really a pleasurable one because I have to say, I just love living with Sherlock Holmes. Well, okay. So that, that was one of my questions. We're going to skip ahead because, you know, you are living the Sherlock Holmes life. You live near Baker Street. You know, you're on co the committees and you, you talk about um, Holmes and, and Sherlock, Sherlock so much. And, you know, I, I have a question for you. Do you, have you watched Enola Holmes? Yes, I have. Uh -huh. Okay, so we just watched the second one the other night. I was like, oh my gosh, I really love the second one because I love the historical part of it, the the where it's co coming, wrapping back around to history. And the very last scene is one of my favorites when, you know, he comes to the door to be, you know, looking for the roommate. I just like, oh, what a great way to introduce that character, you know? So I wondered if you thought it was well done because you're living the world of, of Sherlock. So I wondered what your thoughts were about that. Oh, well, I, I really enjoyed Enola Holmes. I have to admit, I didn't expect to enjoy it because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I'm not really fond of pastiche where it pulls it too far from the original canon. I, I have a kind of a narrower uh, border in, in what I'm trying to do in ter terms of keeping it more like Conan Doyle. But no, we aren't Conan Doyle. No one is. So nobody mm -hmm. will keep it exactly as Conan Doyle. But but that one was pushing the edge, or the, the concept as I knew it, because I hadn't read, read uh, her books, uh, w was pushing it too far in my opinion so I didn't expect to like it but I you know I go to these things with an open mind I really enjoyed the first one very very much and I was surprised to uh, find I really liked Henry Cavill as, as Holmes because he doesn't really look like Holmes in my head I mean he's a very handsome man of course and Holmes is handsome <laughs> in my head but yes. he's, a, he's a very skinny kind of slightly neurotic uh, you know kind of you know sort of maybe a little Asperger's uh, definitely bipolar I mean he's oh. not he's not like a you know, uh, kind of a together man-looking guy like, like, <laughs> right. like you think I his like, hair would be standing the... straight up, you know, like his hair would be standing straight up like Einstein or something. And, no, no, I don't know. see him that way because he, that would not, he wouldn't have passed as a gentleman, which he had Very to true. do in order to, to do his work. Yes. No, I think he was well, in fact, he was well-groomed and described that, except that he would hang out when he was in his flat, he'd be in his, you know, what we call a bathrobe, his dressing gown over, just thrown over his shirt, you know, his clothes, his street clothes. But he would just lounge around in his dressing gown and slippers. And, and if people came to consult with him, he didn't change. He didn't care. But that's <laughs> very bohemian for the time, you know. But no, he wouldn't have been totally disheveled because uh, he wouldn't have had credibility. So, this is, uh, yeah, it's very true. But I could see him and his character being a very high functioning Asperger's. Oh, yes. Who, He's yes. definitely described as an Asperger's yes. uh, personality. Absolutely. Very much so before that term, of course. And also he's very much bipolar because they just, you know, Conan Doyle described him as, you know, like with this manic energy that he could just go, go, go on a case. But in between, he would literally collapse. And, and one of the stories, it, it starts out with Watson having to travel to the south of France to, like, pick him up because he's lying on the floor of his <laughs> hotel room. He's so wiped out from the case he just did. He's got to, like, bring him home. And, you know, and yeah. he, another time, uh, uh, somebody in Harley Street sends Holmes off for a little rest or he's going to have a mental breakdown. So he clearly is, you know, this kind of this bipolar uh, thing as well. So, you know, you get from these two things that 
you know, what we call neurodivergent now. <laughs> I didn't have that term then. Obviously, right, but no. He <laughs> was a bit of, he, he had some damage. There was some darkness and possibly in his background, you know, that there was some, you know, some issues. We don't know what they are because Conan Doyle did not provide a lot of background info. So see, then you have um, Nancy Springer and people like that and people like me writing these new stories with Sherlock Holmes in them and creating some or filling in some of these gaps. So I have a particular set of like uh, sort of rules or, or, or I call them lines in the sand that I won't cross. And each writer who, you know, who writes Sherlock Holmes, you know, draws their own lines in the sand and mine are pretty close to the original. So uh, uh, for example, so I, I'm not going to add on family members that, that, you didn't have that would be something I wouldn't do that doesn't said I didn't enjoy these these movies I did um and I totally also enjoyed um uh uh, Robert Downey Jr oh yes and uh, you know quite you know quite a few other iterations but but I for, for my novels I decided okay I would sort of fence them in in this way one of the magical things about Holmes is that he he's a mystery himself. So you don't really know why he's the way he is or how he got that way or, or why he's, you know, he, he's such a solo voyager and you kind of feel for him for that. And, and Watson does too. Watson, of course, being the lens through which we see Holmes and Watson uh, is another character who is, I think as indelibly created as Holmes is, he's just a magnificent uh, creation. And because he's such a um, a kind man, and he's very smart, even though he's not as smart as Holmes, and Holmes sometimes teases him. <laughs> well, nobody is as smart as Holmes, but Watson is a very observant, very smart man. And also, as described by Conan Doyle, he was a ladies' man. He's a crack shot. He's a gambler, a little bit of a gambling habit. I mean, he's he's a kind of an interesting character. And to me, the Jude Law, for example, was more my mental image of of Watson than the, than the kind of fat bumbly ones that are often portrayed. Right. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, so, the, so Holmes and Watson are just such a fascinating couple of men uh, that I think they're so interesting. Now I have in the latest uh, book, what child is this? Yes, that was, that was my next question. I was going to ask you what, yes. what, tell us about the story of the book. Sure. Um, well, uh, with all my books, I come up with the title first. Uh, so the first one is Art in the Blood. And then from the title, I kind of am feeling out a theme. Uh, most crime fiction, as they call it over here in England, we call it uh, mystery or mysteries or thrillers um, in, in the U.S., uh, most of that kind of fiction is genre fiction, that is to say, where the plot maybe takes precedence over theme uh, or uh, character even. But, but um, of course, I, I like to have a little bit more theme, possibly, in my books than, um, than typical for the genre. And so I start with that. And, and the reason I do that is because I think plot and story and character are absolutely vital and I have to deliver on that promise because when you pick up a Sherlock Holmes book you expect 
you know, excitement, deductions, mystery, evil, you know, et cetera, you know, so you need a mystery to be solved. So that I have to deliver on that. But I also feel like once I've taken Holmes and pulled him into a novel length, this, you remember Conan Doyle wrote 56 short stories and four novellas, but no full length novels of Sherlock Holmes. Once you've done that, I feel like you need a little theme, a little more meat to the story, at least underlying it. So what child is it? I'm sorry. Uh, the first book, Art in the Blood, uh, had to do with the both the gifts and the perils of having an artistic temperament. And of course, Holmes is a consummate artist. He's, he talks a lot about the scientific method, but he also, throughout all of Conan Doyle, talks about it as an art, the art of detection as well. So what does it mean to be an artist? And that conveys a a certain um you have powers as an artist you can see things other people can't see you can draw patterns where other people miss them you but on the other hand you are maybe a little more emotionally uh uh volatile you 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 have highs and lows and and the world looks at you as as kind of a flake <laughs> because you're an artist so and you're in your idiosyncratic right? right so so anyway so so that was the theme of this one but jumping ahead, all of my books have had a theme of sorts. And so what child is this? When this, um, I decided, to, first of all, to write a Christmas one. And second of all, I decided to, um, you know, I needed a title. So, of course, this is the famous Christmas Carol, What Child Is This? Which is, um, you know, based on the tune Greensleeves. Mm-hmm. somebody at the publishing company said well, no one's heard of that and i said well there are two thousand versions of it on spotify <laughs> yeah right. heard it. yeah are you living in a cave <laughs> <laughs> people have heard of it anyway or somebody enough right. people have heard of it. anyway so what child is this became the title so it's christmas what child is this and what child is this evoked to me obviously there's a child involved in the, in the yeah. storyline uh, but what child is this so maybe there's an identity issue and usually I have three different mysteries in my books that convolve and often will overlap and intersect not always but usually this is a novella so it's a bit shorter so I had two stories and so one is a uh, uh, about a, uh, the first one of the first things that happens in the book is uh, Holmes and Watson Holmes does not want to go out into the Christmas mess. He doesn't like Christmas particularly. <laughs> it's like too much forced gaiety and jollity. He didn't want it. Uh, but but Watson drags him out onto uh, Oxford Street, crowded with Christmas shoppers. And they, while they're on there, there uh, a man, a masked man, comes up and knocks down a woman and tries to take her little boy from her and run off. And they thwart this kidnapping attempt. So that starts the first story. So it's about what child, this child, why is this child trying to be kidnapped? Who is it? And are they going to try again? And, you know, who? so there's a whole mystery that comes out of that. But then there's a second uh, child. <laughs> this is an adult child. Uh, a very uh, wealthy aristocrat comes into London and says, my son, I set him up in a beautiful uh, flat, a mansion flat and in Mayfair. And, um, and he, with his valet and now he's disappeared and he's not answering our letters or and, and we don't we're we're afraid for him we're afraid something's happened to him so the mystery is to find him and find out what happened to him so um so the, there's the two what child is this uh kind of stories and they do have to do with um with the vulnerable people in in the society vulnerable mm. people who are um 
who are marginalized in various ways. And of course, you know, it reflects a little bit on Holmes. He's kind of a, mar- he's not, he, he's a little bit marginalized himself being yeah. so idiosyncratic and uh, he doesn't, he can mix in society if he needs to. Right. But it's a strain and he doesn't generally. <laughs> that is beautiful. I love it. And I love the cover. So tell us, um, you, how did you end up, you know, because a cover is just as important as a story and a title and the contents inside. I mean, it's all important. There's the purpose for all of it. So how did you end up with, with an illustrator from Marvel, you know, you know, because you don't normally think about your, what you're writing with what he's doing and it coming together. So is there a little story behind that? Sure, there is. Well, the, the the story of the covers is separate from Frank Cho. He didn't actually do the cover. He did the illustrations that are inside the book. Oh, okay. Um, All right, gotcha. So Frank Cho is a is a remarkable artist, and he's quite famous at, in the Marvel world. Yeah. He does a lot of their covers. He does. He's he's flying all over the place all the time doing conventions and and and, and uh, custom work. Um, he he's a Sherlockian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he came to uh, uh, every January. There's a couple of big events, one in London and one in New York, where all the Sherlockians of the world convene and and have dinner and and drink a lot and laugh <laughs> and, and exchange uh, Holmesian stories and you know things. So he came to that. Of course, I go to those, and uh, he came to one of them. I met him there, and uh, there is a and turn of the century, last century, 19th to the 20th, uh, illustrator named Franklin Booth. Franklin Booth was a remarkable pen and ink illustrator who developed a style that was so beautiful and so specific. And Frank loved this guy's style. And he introduced me to the, to this work. And I'm, a, I'm an amateur artist. And so I love this, this artist. And so, um, and he kind of models some of his work, Frank does, on Franklin Booth's work especially when he's drawing and he began to draw for the baker street irregulars that's the big uh, american organization and he did the programs for these january events he did a couple of them and i saw that and i thought you know wow this is just amazing so i said would you be interested in illustrating <laughs> my next yeah. book and he's like my, yeah. my little would you like my little little book <laughs> and he said yeah so so um anyway i had to finish the book and then i sent it to him and then he asked me for my suggestions for which scenes. So I gave him more than he more than enough because I wanted him to have the choice and and not be dictated to. Um, and, and so yeah, being an artist myself, uh, I kind of know how to work with artists, and, and you don't tell tell them what to do or how to do it. You <laughs> you have to give them freedom, and that's exactly what I want as a as a writer too. I mean, I want guidelines maybe deadlines ish, <laughs> but, but I don't, you know, I don't want to be uh, micro controlled. So I, I just said, okay, here, and here's some suggestions. He said, well, give me a few more. I did. And then we just started, you know, give and take uh, over the, uh, over the internet because we don't live in the same city. So then um, he came to London. We had a lovely uh, meeting at uh, the Wallace collection, which is one of the most beautiful small art museums in the city. And he was, you know, it was, uh, it was just heaven for him being an artist, uh, being at this place. Anyway, and then uh, I I ended up, um, you can probably hear the sirens outside. I ended up um, 
making a Pinterest file for him for some reference things that he wanted. Like, for example, what is Heffy? She's a character. She's a reoccurring character that I created uh, a few books back. And she's a sort of young Cockney woman that, that Holmes employs occasionally, sort of like a female um, uh, irregular. Anyway, so what would she be wearing? Because she's now like stepping up in the world. So she's no longer, you know, kind of an orphan in rags. She's now kind of a, a respectable young lady, but not wealthy. So what would that look like? You know, so things like that. I provided a few uh, reference uh, photos and stuff like that. But mostly he, he did it all himself in terms of that. And he just did the most beautiful work. And he sent me you know, some works in progress, but usually it was close to finished and I just loved it. Uh, I was thrilled to have him. Oh my gosh. That just, how exciting all of that is. And that all of this is just, it's just come together. You know, it's like everything's lined up and then you have this, you know, you have this beautiful career and you're living the writer's dream. I think probably for what most people would love to do, you know, to get into that groove and you have that genre that you're known for and you've got a big fan base. And of course, you know, that is a writer's dream, obviously an author's dream, but uh, most of them, but so what, um, so you talked about, you have the sixth book that you're, you're working on now and, um, you know, anybody out there who's listening that would like to go into crime writing and mystery writing, what are your, what do you think is the elements that you must have in order to have a good story? And that's, I know generalized, I know that is, but I mean, for somebody who's wanting to write in this genre, you know, I know you need to go read the authors that you love, you know, and see what they do. But if you were talking to your younger self right now, what would you tell your younger self coming into this work? What do you think? You may, you must have this, this, and this, you know, kind of thing. Um, well, uh, let me answer that first more generally, and then about crime writing. So more generally, I would say to a young person who wants to have a writing career um, that um, obviously you need to be reading a lot. And it, our society and our culture is very anti-reading now. And so because we spend so much time on our electronics, uh, that rewire, literally rewires our brain. So now we become very good at scanning for things and less good at following a line of argument, which fiction is. So you must force yourself to read books. I prefer and recommend on paper because you don't have the flicker. But if you must read electronically, then something like the Kindle Oasis that doesn't have flicker, it's a technological issue uh, that will, it, it keeps the eyes on the page. So re read, 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 and, and hone your taste in that way. In other words, you'll find writers and series of books that you just love and so I always recommend to a person to first write the kind of thing they want to read in other words write the book you want to read rather than try to figure out the marketplace and what will sell write the book you want to read so those are the kind of basic uh, suggestions I have for a young person who wants to to become a writer um, then the next thing would be to uh, of course there's the development of the craft and the practice of it and many, many people say, oh, I would love to be a writer. I just don't have the time or my life is too chaotic and I, I can't, you know, I can't keep all the stuff at bay. I, I need quiet time. You must have a lot of quiet time and that's how you can do it. Um, the thing is, you have to be able to do it 
no matter what. So, um, yeah, I have quiet time, but I also have great stressors in my life, which I, I'm not going to go into, but I have very big stressors in my life. And um, the thing is, whatever it is that is stressing you, you have to be able to put it in a little box, set it aside and do the work. So whether that's noise or children that you have to take care of or a, a, a dying relative or, a, you know, your own illness, whatever it is, there can be something that pulls you and makes it hard, but you do it anyway. So those are the kind of the three, uh, the three big um, recommendations. Um, and I, I, you know, I write out of love. I write the kind of book I want to read. You know, I, I wanted a Christmas Holmes book, <laughs> you know, Conan Doyle just wrote the, the Blue Carbuncle as a Christmas story. It's a little bit different from his other stories. And similarly, this one is a little bit different from my other ones. Uh, there, although there's danger in it and there are definitely deductions, it's not quite the same as the rest of them. Um, and so most of my readers have really got that and like that about it because, it's, you know, it's a Christmas one. It is different for a reason. Um, and so I think, um, in terms of writing mystery, uh, and thriller, you need to know your genre because there are many subgenres, and they each have a different promise, a promise to the reader. So, uh, I want to take the reader on the kind of ride that they've, that they've paid their ticket for, <laughs> you know, in other words, this is the kind of ride I'm looking for. And so, you know, whether that's a, whether it's a whodunit, a howdunit, a, a, a time, there's a time clock or there's a, a mounting sense of danger. There's a thriller where the, the main characters are in danger also. I mean, there's all kinds of elements that that fit or don't fit into the genre you're writing. So when you sit down to write your first book, know the kind of book you're writing. Um, there's a wonderful uh, book that I recommend. It's kind of, it sounds cheesy and it sounds simplistic, but it actually ends up being rather profound. It's called No Plot, No Problem. And the author is Chris Baty, B-A-T-Y. And uh, it's, he's the, one of the people that founded uh, NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And basically, it's a kind of a breezy little book about how to just get started and write those 50,000 words in that month it's how to do it with you and you don't know what you're doing beforehand but one of the things he says is pick the kind of book you're going to write so have a model of it in your head it's the kind that you like to read whatever that is whether it's young adult whether it's fantasy whether it's you know uh, romance whether it's some combination genre but very specific combination have it in have the model of the thing in your head the kind of book you're writing and this is some other rather practical advice uh, so it, it is, it's a very simplistic, but you can read it in a sitting, <laughs> but it has some very good um, uh, how to get out of your own way advice. So, mm, it's so, so I knew what kind of book I wanted to write. I knew how I wanted it to be like Conan Doyle, and I knew how I wanted it to be different from Conan Doyle. I was really, really clear on that in my head before I started well, you, I mean, you've given some really good advice and I always like to ask authors that, especially those that are super, you know, they're very successful in what they're doing because, you know, that's where you get the advice to be a better writer. 
And so you are, you know, I, I'm totally in that same place where you are in the sense that you can't wait for that perfect, the cottage and the cabin in the woods. I mean, I have three children and my life is a circus and the ages are apart. So I, I will write in the car rider line at a rehearsal, waiting on a practice, a game to start or whatever it is, you know, I have to find those times you to write. The time, yeah. You got to right. steal the time. Yeah. Even if it's 20 minutes, just do it. I always have a notebook with me. And, you know, you've got your phone recorder. So that's another thing to use. If somebody doesn't have, you know, there's an inspiration that comes all of a sudden, but you've made some super valid points today for those who are uh, thinking about it or stuck or just go, I don't have the time, but I really want to. Well, I always say quit whining about it. Just do it. You know, there's that Nike, just do it. I I love that you're stealing the time like that. And that, that makes really a lot of sense to do that. And, um, and the other thing is, um, I, I mentor writers sometimes. I, I, I'm mentoring a couple of students at the university that's next door to me, actually. Uh, and I have and I taught writing for 11 years at UCLA Extension, the writers program. And a lot of people who want to write um, waste a lot of time putting notes down about what they might, what they think the book is about, or what they want to say, or little note notes 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 and then like I'm making notes for my novel it's like okay (laughs) but here's what I suggest I suggest and I put this this is in a Quora answer that I put that you you have a document with with three sections or you have like you you can use Scrivener that's my my uh writing tool of choice or you can do it in a word document whatever on your computer however you're writing you have three different things. One is the one is your draft, your first draft, or where to, you know, the draft of the book. Chapter one, blah, 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 right? Stuff. Okay. Another list is stuff I don't know, but I need to know, or I need to look up later. Like, wh- how cold was it in February in London in 1890? Or what was the name of that, uh, the kind of carriage that had two horses? Or, you know, the little list, just kind of an ongoing list, but you go right back to the storytelling. So, yeah, you have stuff you have to look up. You have stuff that you got to check and you don't know, and you might change, et cetera. Then the third list is for those intrusive thoughts like, call your mother tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Or don't forget the onions. I love it. Whatever whatever little things are pop, you know, the non-writing stuff that's like going, but, but, but me, but me, just write it down and get it out of the way and just go back to your draft. So you keep going back to the draft, to the draft, Mm. to the draft. That is great advice. Notes and theories and stuff. You you still need to pull out and do some plotting. So like when I do NaNoWriMo, which I still do occasionally, uh, I will be doing my drafts and doing my words per day, 1,678 or whatever the number, I forget what the number is. Uh, but I will sometimes pull back and spend one or two days jiggling the plot outline. And then I go jump right in and catch up and, and et cetera. But I don't totally try to plot the thing in advance. I don't try to totally uh, figure out everything while I'm drafting. So so there's a value, and this is a little bit presented in that rather simplistic book that I mentioned, <laughs> a No Plot, No Problem. There's a there's a value into working it out on the page right there's value to that later on if this is your first novel later on you'll evolve a perhaps more effective uh method 
but it'll be yours and yours alone. And I couldn't tell you what that is. Like how, how much do you outline in advance? How much do you not outline, et cetera? I mean, there's, there are endless theories about this and people have good reasons for those choices, but they're very individual. Yeah. And it's all really good advice because you, you I mean, you just, the, the main thing is you got to do it. You just got to, you got to start. And so for anyone, everybody listening, we are talking to Bonnie McBird today and her book is called What Child Is This? This is her fifth Sherlock Holmes book. So if you're a lover of Sherlock Holmes, you must, must, must check her out. Her book is available on Amazon and anywhere that books are sold. Where can people find you? Because I know we've run out of time. I mean, we could talk forever about all of this. It's all very important. It's all very, as, as Holmes would say, relevant, relative, right? <laughs> and so, you know, where can people find you? Well, um, all these books are published by HarperCollins. Uh, they initially come out hardbound and then in paper. Uh, you can find them at your, your bookstores can order them if they don't have them on the shelves and you can find them in uh, an Amazon and uh, I think it's bookseller org, which mm -hmm. uh, goes to the smaller uh, companies, which are good uh, in the States. Um, uh, I, there's signed copies of my latest book uh, at poison pen in Scottsdale at murder by the book in Houston and at the mysterious bookshop in New York city. They all have uh, signed copies um, and I would be thrilled. You can find me online at www, my last name, macbird.com, M-A-C-B-I-R-D. Yes, M-A-C-B-I-R-D. Yes, absolutely. Okay, get a copy of What Child Is This? Great Christmas read, great Christmas gift for anyone. And it is smaller than your other books. And I and, and that I love also because it's so, you know, it's easy just Take it on the go, right? right. And yes. Uh, yes, I love it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bonnie. It was so nice to have you. I can't wait to have you back with your I next adventure. And, um, you know, thank you everyone for joining us today. And we will be back soon on Cover to Cover. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of our audience today. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends and tune in for the next episode of Cover to Cover for all things in the author world.